Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of For Your Innovation, a podcast by ARK Invest on all things related to disruptive innovation. I'm Andrew Kim, Research Associate covering consumer internet and fintech. Today, we have the great privilege of speaking with Joris Henson, the founder and co-lead of Deutsche Bank's API program. Hi, Joris. Thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Andrew. I'm very happy um, to be here today. Um, yeah, my name is Joris. Um, I have uh, basically, as you said, I started the API program at Deutsche Bank in 2015. Uh, before that time, I've worked in innovation management and different technology roles. And I guess that all helped me to prepare for this API role, which is a lot about technology on one hand. On the other hand, it's execution of innovation and ultimately new products that we create based on technology. Cool. Yeah. Um, so um, you joined uh, Deutsche Bank in 2012, right? And maybe before uh, diving deeper into the specific products that you led under the API program, it'd be awesome to get a brief overview of, well, first open banking in Europe, maybe starting with the first uh, payment services directive um, in 2007. When I look back at the time I've started the API program in 2015, uh, PSD1 was in place. Um, so basically, we had this unified European retail payment market. Um, and there was this discussion about um, there will be um, a new regulation with PSD2. Back then, we didn't know what would happen. We knew that banks would, be, uh, would need to open up, would need to um, uh, allow third parties to access data. And this was the, the point in time when we started to uh, open up beyond the scope of regulation. Um, and and uh, what I can tell from uh, from today's view perspective, right, is that, okay, PSD2 has evolved um, to offer account information services and, and payment initiation services and introduce secure um, uh, SCA, strong customer authentication, sorry. And, and it's quite interesting to see this development, how banks have start, have decided to either perceive this as an opportunity as much as we do or just comply with regulation. And now we see this evolution kind of continues with an update with PSD3 um, where they um, look into, um, again, SCA, uh, improve SCA in for the consumer to prevent uh, payment fraud, uh, further improve consumer information and rights. And um, also more interestingly, there's the open finance framework of the European Union. But yeah, in a nutshell, you can say 
we were back, uh, we were right back then to to open up uh, beyond the scope of regulation, and it led to a lot of conclusions and learnings on execution innovation within a company. Yeah, so um, you mentioned PSD one, two, and the upcoming three, and also the open finance framework. Hopefully, we can cover all of these initiatives in greater detail. Um, but maybe just like even like post PSD one, right? Um, you were at Deutsche Bank um, before the introduction of PSD two. And I'd love to just get a better sense of what your initiatives were, you know, in that interim time frame, like before PSD two, let's say, and like how your how the API team's kind of vision for how open banking will evolve um, before and after PSD2? Right. Uh, that's actually a very good question. And if if I remember the, the time and the, the, the level of discussions we've had, there was a lot of, well, this discussion around opening up granting a third party access to your data was quite new. So no one had an idea what open banking basically is. And you had to start educating people that open banking doesn't mean that someone in a very uncontrollable, unsecure way is accessing your data, right? But that it's rather an opportunity that will allow us to build new business models because we um, grant um, secure access for a third party to banking data so that this partner can integrate banking data in a way to um, include financial services in an existing product or build a completely new product, either for their or our customers. And um, basically, that's how and where the vision started, because we were, we were seeing this as, as an opportunity to tap into different worlds because the customer's life does not only uh, evolve around financial situations right it's about the small and big moments of life and and our vision is that with the help of open banking and through those partnerships we can play in a role in those small and big moments in the life of our customer and what i've seen and and this is i guess also a huge transformation on the inside of the company is people started to understand the concept of open banking. And by people, I mean all the internal teams you, you work with, right? Uh, be it compliance, data protection, legal, because you need all of them when you want to enter into a partnership and to build a partnership, partnering process. And, and to see this level of understanding of not only what an API is, but that it becomes more basic understanding yes apis are important nowadays everyone understands this and everyone is starting to see well this is there's an opportunity or this could be something we could be doing with data and apis i i guess that that is a huge change and as a result you see different products um that we have created starting on the retail side where psd2 was happening but also wealth management corporate banking and this is, is a proof point to me that product uh, areas across the bank started to open up and realize that APIs are huge potential. So is it safe to summarize that, you know, the time period between PSD1 to PSD2, you know, people both internal and fintechs were just getting used to the concept of open banking 
and API usage. And it's only kind of more recently, right, in the past five years that um, generally the market has gotten a much more complex understanding of how to use it. A fundamental concept of open banking is partnering, right? And 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 I guess something that has where you can see a change is the perception of partnerships. I remember, I mean, basically maybe I don't know, two thousand nine, where there was this idea of competition, where the banks banks thought about fintechs, well, they are competing with us, and then this change to the understanding that there are great companies out there building fantastic products for very specific areas that banks would never develop themselves. And it changed into an understanding that those partnerships help to tap into these opportunities. And, and I guess, to me, this is a very important change um, that I saw happening, and it feels really natural today. And it arrived at a point where all the companies or where we as banks have to think about how can we make partnering as easy as possible. I mentioned this legal and compliance, those functions, and they, for instance, come into play when you want to in, enter into a partnership agreement. One thing we've learned quite early, for instance, is that um, companies do not have, in particular, smaller startups. They don't have nine months or 12 months, right, until to figure out uh, legal details and to to actually use to actually use live data and uh, we managed to speed up this process to a maximum of two weeks um from um playing around with sandbox to the actual access of live data and and those things are super important when you work want to work with partners because at the end of the day the ecosystem is small so you have to do the best you can um, to uh, make it as easy as possible for partners. What were the main drivers there in speeding up that process? I think it's this understanding that at the end, I think this there's not this one super app, right? We are, we talk about a lot of small products, specific products in different niches. And I guess this understanding that it's at, at the end of the day, it's a long-tail business model. I guess that that, that certainly helped. And I also think that the first use cases where you can see that a partnership resulted in a in a great product, this also helped. At the, at the beginning, there weren't that many products. And still today, yes, open banking to some extent delivers use cases, but it's still limited. Well, also because there's limited amount of data uh, available. This is why I think it's it's important to further open um, the scope of data, right? But I guess th this this helps to make it as tangible as possible and, and to have real products you can look at and see, oh, well, we've learned this and that from the partnership. This went well, this we can improve. And, and then you further evolve and develop. Can you talk about, I guess, the type of data that has been demanded by third parties um, over the past 10 years and how that's kind of evolved in complexity? Like what were the main types of data that third parties wanted, say, back in uh, you know, 2015 or so, you know, versus what you're seeing now? When we started, we, we wanted to understand what partners want, right? So we did a few workshops, more like design thinking workshops. And one was around um, 
a data cocktail bar where uh, startups could uh, mix um, virtual data cocktail telling us, okay, this is the data that we would like to see that could help us to improve our product. And, you know, and um, I was looking at the result of this workshop just at the beginning of the year. And I thought, yeah, we are still on a good track because you can see that it takes time to build because you need to build internal structures, right? So you need to have internal APIs to expose something on the outside. But I, we are still on track. And that was, uh, I think this the feedback was uh, super good back then. And obviously, we started with retail bank data, right? Because that was in scope of PSD2 and was foreseeable back then that it, it, we will talk about transaction data. And was it started with the question, how can we enrich this transaction data? Be it with a longer transaction history or providing additional information like credit card information, saving accounts, so that you have the complete overview of a portfolio of a client. And then it emerged to... Um, Providing the same access for corporate clients, adding uh, payment APIs, adding investment APIs for wealth management, and uh, finally embedded finance APIs to open up real banking products and embed banking products into third-party platforms. And you can see that this is a trend in the industry, right? And and I guess we're at a point now that we talk about the latest proposal in the European Union called the Open Finance Framework, we're at a point where we talk about further extending the scope in terms of information or customer-related information on the retail side. But it will equally be important to also think about what other data assets can be open. How can we create further premium APIs and what can we offer to other target groups like corporate clients or wealth management? Gotcha. Yeah, you talked about Many APIs spanning across like various divisions, right? Maybe just looking backwards, um, are there any uh, core products that you were most proud of? Yeah, like, and like what were like the main challenges that you saw? One product I really like because it's a good example of how customers can lead your product discovery in a way um, is a product called um, DB Smart Access. It's um, enables um, small and medium um, clients to um, access their own bank data and integrate it into their very own process. And I think it's a very nice example of how you learn from customers um, what their problems are. So we've, when we started, we put the developer portal out there with um, the APIs. And then suddenly we had the first corporate customer um, asking, well, you, you offer this We've seen you offering this this data. Can we also include our very own bank account? Because we have a lot of manual Excel files we want to get rid of. And we've never thought about that there are lots of companies out there who still have Excel files or maybe old software they do not get rid of and who really benefit of streamlining their processes through an API and also investing this time in thinking how they can optimize their world, right? And that was a super important learning and I'm proud of this product. Um, and, and we are still extending the product and building additional features and getting lots of feedback. And, and uh, yeah, it's a good example, I think, how customers can help to build the future and, and and show you where demand is. Got it. Just wanted to ask a clarifying question on the least 
the span of regulations and also just what open banking generally means in Europe. Um, so it's my understanding that, you know, banks are kind of obligated to expose this set of, you know, banking data overall. Um, are fintechs that are the third parties that are utilizing such data, are they expected to um, expose parts of their data stack as well? I think this is now going to change with the new regulations. Um, so far, financial institutions were in scope, right? And then I, th I think that this is my understanding of where we are going is that uh, also other institutions have to uh, uh, create interfaces. So as a result, we are going to see more data available, um, also insurance data, right? So I guess the, 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 the amount of data is going to increase and with this, the possibilities to build new products. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I guess that begs the question of if there is a future for like data moats, I guess, in the fintech ecosystem in Europe going forward, if, you know, a lot of the data that each party collects ends up having to be exposed to other parties, right? Of course, that incentivizes competition, but I do also wonder if it really kind of discourages the building of moats overall what do you think yeah i think every company has to define maybe um uh, their own very own strategy where they want to have offer premium apis and an offering that is not uh, uh, covered by regulation and go beyond the scope of regulation and define a strategy where they want to put a focus on be it for instance on very specific product for their corporate clients that are not part of regulation or their wealth management clients and the i guess the other reality is that even though we have a maybe a bigger set of common apis in the future the question remains what you do with those apis so also you as a bank have the opportunity have the opportunity to to look into this and think okay can we build a, a product ourselves using this and leveraging this data and i guess this is also very important looking forward is um how product management and how you build products evolves and i guess that's the other transformation that is happening and has to happen um, to deal with this new reality and to use the opportunity that is there. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that point in terms of like, how do you personally think product management within banks, European banks are going to evolve? I mean, if you look at, for instance, embedded finance and the trend that products become more embeddable, seamlessly embeddable into different products, this is already a change. Um, that you can see is the classical user journey change, right? You do not no longer have um, the customers in your own channels, but you have different channels. And if you look into this way of thinking, to to look at the whole journey from a customer, the different the different variations that you have, the different technologies that you can use in different contexts. Uh, I guess, uh, in a nutshell, I would say. The change is it becomes more a technology-driven product management. And you need to have this combination of IT and business units. And I can see this is happening because agile transformation um, is already a way towards this future. But I guess that will be super important because only then you can you can look at data and say, well, this is important, or we can uh, get this 
draw this conclusion from the data itself, right? So I guess I guess that's that's the opportunity. Gotcha. And I guess I mean I completely agree with you. I think it definitely keeps banks on their toes, right? And constantly having to engage in digital transformation to some extent. And given that, um, out of the products that you oversaw, like are there any products that you know you were surprised to see more success than you expected? originally expected when we started uh, we had this product called age certificate which we wanted to use and offer to shops for instance to prove the customer age because we have a verified id of a customer so we can easily without transmitting the the id document itself we can tell if a customer is over 18 for instance um, to get a rental car as an additional security feature and we had a few shops and and, and companies in being interested in this feature, but we had to learn, well, of course, it only makes sense if you have a um, a certain coverage of the market. And um, we had to realize that um, if other banks do not start to offer the same premium API, it's super difficult to find a third party to build a product for it. And just now, I, we happened to be um, at an event in the UK recently, and there was this other bank promoting their API portal um, now and talking about a new product called Age Certificate. So I started to wonder, maybe we were too early, but certainly we can see that also other banks start to now think of, okay, what can be built on top of transaction data? So yeah, I guess that's also a learning from innovation is maybe... Uh, the question of the right timing, uh, it can be a big thing. But uh, yeah, perhaps we will see age certificate uh, taking off in the future then. Gotcha. It's interesting that we continue to talk about building on top of transaction data. And at least in the US, it seems like the logical next step, right? When one has access to like, you know, either aggregate or individual consumer transaction data is to build out an ad network, right? And I mean, I'm sure you are well aware of, you know, Meta's reception in the EU, right, for for the past couple of years. And it seems like that kind of partnership or harmony, right, between those two kind of business models will not exist, right, under open banking as we know it in Europe. Would you agree? I think it sounds logic because there are a lot of information within transaction data, right? You know what, where people really shop at the end of the day, you know their hobby and everything. So it sounds logic to use the data. I think we have to be careful. I mean, like beside what is legally possible, when we think of open banking, uh, we want the customer um, to give access to their data. So they have to give consent and permission to use this data for a given context. So a lot of this stuff is based on trust, right? So I find it difficult to to leverage this data. And I guess yeah, I mean, it's it's not even possible, right, to leverage this data in, in, in certain contexts. So I guess we would rather have to think about ways how the customer can benefit of giving access in a very transparent way to his or her data. So that then, okay, you say I give access to a, uh, to my data to a company. I know they are using it to send me advertisement, but I actually like the advertisement because I get great coupons, 
and 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 good sales deals even before everyone else knows right i guess more in a way like this because um right now i don't see like any customer knows what really open banking is yeah i mean no customer says i want an open banking solution they say ah oh, it's it's a, it's a nice tool so i use it and i guess we have to be careful that uh, we uh, build this trust and we focus on building great solutions from a customer perspective i think it's interesting um certainly the i would consider you know targeted advertising a consumer you know benefit but it seems the european data protection board thinks otherwise but yeah i think to your point like credit card rewards right if it's like explicitly consented uh there's explicit consent in like a consumer to like share their transactions so that i can get more relevant deals or reward on my card like i think that's a very clear case to share such data with like a advertiser so to speak right yeah and at the end of the day you can decide if you want to have the targeted advertisement i guess that's the difference yes that's that's clear thank you um I guess on the topic of regulation, um, can you talk about like lessons learned in actual, you know, execution or implementation of these products, dealing with regulatory bodies, other banks, you know, your customers? Um, would love to just get a better understanding of how you experienced like innovation implementation, right? Overall, in the past decade. When we again travel back to the time, back in 2015, right, where no one knows uh, knew what open banking is, um, what I think what really helped was that we started, uh, after lots of producing lots of PowerPoint slides, we started very practically with a hackathon. Um, so we first had an internal hackathon, then an external hackathon, where we invited also um, people from legal, compliance, you know, all the, the people involved in regulatory um, boards and decision making and, 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 and stuff. And they could actually see and work with the teams on the ground what open banking means. They get also very got very enthusiastic, became part of, of products, you know, and then as a result of the first hackathon, they have the first product they could use as a customer on their own phone to understand what open banking is. I think that that helped a lot because at the end, also on the inside, you have to build trust. By the time you, you come with just an, with an innovation in the beginning, people are maybe have concerns and, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's a change and you have to build network and you have to educate people and take people along on this change. There's nothing you can change from within one team. You can start this change in one team, like we did as an API program. But at the end, it needs, it needs the whole organization and you need to take the whole organization with you. As a learning, what I find super powerful is to do storytelling. Uh, we did a lot of very un- typical storytelling on the inside we used different ways to communicate from the outside to the inside so it's something you have to build up it's nothing you can change within one month but over the time you see that as i said people start to understand the concept of apis you see more product divisions exposing apis so you see start to see all those proof points and then and then you see the change 
Gotcha. So mainly, it seems like, you know, the friction that you saw was, you know, convincing internally, right, that this is a good idea. Um, Are there, were there frictions to highlight, um, like bank to bank, or even like bank to potential customers, um, with like fintechs also kind of getting used to this general idea? Yeah, it's also a reality that uh, when we launched our developer portal back then and we said, hey, we go beyond the scope of regulation and you will find premium APIs on our portal, it was also new to fintechs or other players in the market, right? So it was a similar way of education. The way was different. For instance, uh, we went to different fairs back then, not necessarily banking fairs, but we wanted to address various industries and learn what, what is important to them. So it was the same pattern, I would say, educating, learning, finding out what people want. And then based on this, um, develop an approach that works for us as well as the partner. Yeah? And, and a process like a smooth onboarding process is a result of those discussions and the learning. Right, because if you start now uh, talking to a startup, there's this 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 maybe this feeling, okay, there's this big company, very slow, and we are the fast mover as a startup, right? And you have both sides have to learn, and you have to deal with this relationship very carefully to build up trust into mush, um, uh, to, into the relationship. That's super helpful. You talked about the open finance framework a couple of times during this uh, podcast um, and how, you know, additional data is going to be opened up. Um, can you elaborate kind of on like, I guess, what types of data are you excited about kind of um, opening up to third parties? And how do you see the position of banks like Deutsche Bank right, evolving as, you know, new data is opened up? incrementally yeah so the discussion right now i mean it's just in a mode of a proposal from the european union so um it's not a law yet so it's still an early in a very early phase um so what has been released is that all the data in scope of um, personal data data related to a customer will have to be exposed whatever this means this is still part of the definition that that is happening right now right so does it mean uh, to what extent banks have grant access to data, for instance, around uh, consumer loan, uh, process data? Yeah. So it's still a question how far the scope, how big the scope will be. Um, but what really excites me is the fact that we talk about opening up um, further, taking uh, ha- to having a bigger scope of companies who have to open up. And I guess this is just one part, right? I guess um, the bigger scope will be that you can see that other industries also open up. Um, you, I Hopefully in the future, you not only talk about financial data, but also about energy data, any other data, right? So that you as a product manager can uh, tap into a whole universe of APIs and, and build products. And then... I guess that the exciting part is that this will help us to move away from very industry-driven products to more life-centric products. And this this is the part that really excites me. And I see the open finance framework as one step and maybe still an early step, but definitely um, the, that's the direction of the future. Gotcha. And, 
And in terms of business model evolution, I think how I understood like early days of open banking was that, you know, it's a bank with some sort of direct relationship with, say, like a direct-to-consumer fintech, right? Kind of like a two, uh, one-way sharing of, like, of course, like user-consented data. Like, as, like, the breadth of data and the parties that are sharing data grow, like, do you see aggregators kind of becoming the, like, intermediaries with, say, the highest value capture like, are you already seeing this or do you expect like these types of players to have some sort of role in the ecosystem if not? I guess they also, they, they already today, they play an important role because they aggregate the different level of APIs. And I guess uh, one complaint is that there are many different implementations of APIs nowadays, so that it's a huge effort um, um, to do the job of an aggregator, basically, because you have to keep up with every single release of, of, of each bank, right? When they change an API. So I guess uh, there's a lot of value in that. And then the question will be what other business model they, uh, or new products they will build on top of this. I guess it's not a question if, of either or, right? It's more a question of how things will work and, and come into play together. Um, I, I guess in the future you will have aggregators and they will play an important role, but this will not help you if you think of very specific products for certain areas. Maybe then you need a, you have a different answer right, to the business model. And it's not necessarily an aggregator, but maybe the bank itself or maybe um, a partnership with a different industry that makes something happen and work. Are there any like specific verticals or subset of fintechs that you're most excited about in leveraging bank APIs um, going forward? Recently, we spoke um, to the um, energy industry. I find this very interesting, but not exclusively. Basically, I think it's it's super interesting when we see um, a broader scope of data. The energy, car industry, they started to open up yeah, I think it's more a question of products that that you build out of this. And um, to get back to um, the question you had earlier, we see a lot of preparation necessary within the companies to be able to expose this data. You can see that more and more companies start to apply an API first thinking and to build the necessary infrastructure. Um, so that's the other part I find interesting because you can see there are more companies uh, offering developer portals, more companies contacting and getting in touch with us to exchange know-how and how have you started to expose data, what was necessary on the inside. So I guess this uh, will lead to a movement where you can also benefit and learn from each other and by the time have not only the broader scope of data, but hopefully also create partnerships that, that you develop on that way. Does that make sense? It's, I, th I feel like it's very philosophical still, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of my, the, the, my vision of how I would like to see a reality in the future. And we can continue to keep it philosophical. I'd, I'd love to just better d uh, dig a little deeper into your vision of like life-centric products, right? And what that, would mean in like i guess specific examples i've been trying to think about what you meant by that for the past couple of minutes but i just couldn't come up 
with some sort of um, example that doesn't kind of end up in some personal finance um, like outcome. You mean personal finance outcome? So I'm just saying, like, let's think about some sort of like life centric product that aggregates, you know, finance data, my like home energy consumption data, my, I say like, yeah, auto energy consumption data as well, like all of this like data uh, around like just personal consumption, right? And I'm just having some trouble understanding like what that would be used for outside of the context, uh, outside of like, say, like loan underwriting, right? And just like better understanding what you meant by like non-finance verticals adopting this, the, the ethos of open banking going forward. Yeah, I think uh, to me, life-centric means, uh, first of all, that things are very connected. Yeah. So yes, it can be related to financial management. So for instance, take the example of there's a big discussion about solar panels, putting solar panels on 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 your roof uh, here in Germany, right? And um, you, then you have websites uh, suggesting you um, how to finance it, where to buy it, right? This is isolated from banking products nowadays. What if in the future you would have um, a product from a bank directly integrated into the portal where you kind of collect information of what is possible. And then when once um, you have your solar panel installed, it's connected to your account. It shows you how much money you save through feeding energy into the grid, or maybe you make revenue by feeding energy into the grid, and that is then credited to your account. So yes, it's related to uh, PFM, but at the same time, it's more automized or take like for instance um collecting different documents for your tax statement can this be automized can you like if <laughs> over here if you visit uh, the dentist in germany you can you get a you get a an invoice home right you have to send this to your insurance company and then you you get the money credited um, on your account so why can't this be automized right so that you have those events like healthcare or like uh, certain services um, you know that are connected with each other and then yeah i mean you talk about automation here and i think that's a great segue into how generative ai is going to affect all of this right in that i think we are seeing clearer prospects of autonomous agents right, fit into our daily lives, however that may be. And, and I think it's not, not unreasonable to consider, you know, a AI agent tax advisor, AI wealth manager, all these things that are kind of executing um, trades and... Um, just personal finance tasks on my behalf and how does the idea of user consent evolve how do the roles of banks evolve right um if they are interacting with ai rather than people right directly would love to just get an understanding of how you're thinking about generative ai um you and your team yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting question. 
And uh, I guess the underlying concept remains the same. We had uh, when, we, when we were talking about uh, advertisement earlier, right? So, to what extent does a customer has to grant, give access and, and permission for another party to use the data? And I guess the same is true for the example uh, you you just gave. Is that it will be important that the customer takes an active decision is giving permission and has transparency and control. The optimization should work on his or her behalf, right? Uh, and, and, and it should be transparent how data is used. And I think this is super critical. Yeah. I would imagine that like consumer consent is going to look something like multi-factor authentication, right? In the future, say, you know, the first time an AI, again, like let's say wealth manager, is in use, you're going to get a ping every single time it wants to execute a trade. But at a certain point, you're going to trust it enough to say, you know, don't remind me for 30 days, right? And maybe not 30 days, like, let's say, I don't know, five days or something. And it will just execute autonomously because the user has consented for that time period. Yeah, so you mean like a decision between security and convenience, and then you build up this level of trust, and then at some point in time, you can change it. But I think it's a very nice example of something you can already see happening with account-to-account payments, where you give access in the beginning, and then you have this dashboard where you can control and you see what happens, but you're not necessarily involved, right? And I find it, yeah, interesting, yeah. I think that's maybe the right way to go to make it configurable. And uh, it's at the end of the day, the choice of the customer to a certain extent, right? Because uh, there might also be a legal perspective to what extent this is possible. Yeah, yeah. And I guess from a regulatory standpoint, it's in their best interest to figure out, you know, can consumers increasingly trust this until a point in which all trust is lost, right? And then there's another crisis you know generative ai induced crisis maybe but would you would there be a use case you would really love to see i being enabled by this i mean yeah just going back to the wealth manager uh scenario i mean like i do not use a financial advisor you know it's not cheap right um and if an ai can give me insights right and act actionable insights on you know how to say uh reduce my tax burden or um reallocate assets um in a more optimized way in whatever like portfolio management and, uh tool that it's using i think that'd be incredibly useful but then again there is even with those insights maybe this is a very much a first world problem there is some like material inconvenience having to go in and actually reallocating assets across brokers or you know across accounts or whatnot right and if an agent can do this uh on my behalf i think i would find it very useful um same thing with like say credit card rewards right as in automatically applying you know, like the um, rewards automatically reallocating, like what I'm going to get more points on this particular month. If an, AI, if an AI can do all of this, you know, and um, figure out how to optimize kind of like my payment methods, right? To So that my ROI on my credit cards can maximize itself in some way. I think that'd be really useful. 
it's a nice example because it also demonstrates that it's uh making life make life easier right reducing complexity uh and I, this also explains your question earlier when you were asking about what will be the position of the banks right because this is an example of how banks can become providers of infrastructure conditions right and the question is what other role they play yeah and sorry and just like ranting about this i made me think about airline points that's like one of the most complicated things right transferring credit card points with airline points and like figuring out how yeah. all that works certain things are for a reason yeah right? no, no yeah i'm sure it's in their best interest so maybe it makes sense for like a third party agnostic ai platform to handle all of this yeah, but it's another nice example of uh, if you imagine the travel industry they also start to open up at least you can see that uh, airlines start to offer api portals right now they focus on booking process which what makes sense it's maybe comparable to starting with payment and transaction data right around the core business but there also the question will be how does it evolve and will they start to open up uh, their uh, airline miles programs right uh, through apis so that you can build something on top of it oh yeah i mean let's hope so um well again okay well thank you so much uh yours for all of your insights today i'd love to wrap up the conversation with one final question um like what are the main takeaways or outstanding questions you think investors should consider regarding the future of european open banking right and more specifically how I mean, you've touched on this uh, multiple times, but like how Deutsche Bank is positioned in this secular trend and how you see banks capitalizing on this trend more broadly. Yeah, I think investors should look into how banks embrace this, um, this change of extending data beyond the scope of regulation um, and look into... Uh, their strategy on the tech side. Uh, is there an API first strategy? Do uh, uh, banks start to prepare by uh, implementing an API platform? But also look at how do business units embrace this chance, uh, change? And do we see new products evolving based on open banking? I guess uh, when I look at Deutsche Bank, I think we are positioned well because we started early on. And by introducing one API platform that everyone within the bank worldwide can use to expose data, use it on the inside, and then also publish it to the outside to build new products. I think um, this gives us uh, a lot of possibilities to leverage all the data assets that we have globally, not necessarily only in retail banking. And I guess that's what I find interesting about the future. Um, taking your example around wealth management, corporate banking, I guess there are lots of different possibilities. We just have to find them and build products for our customers. Amazing. Thank you, yours, for all your time today. Thank you very much, Andrew. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.